Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shi. And I'm Jill Weinbanks. And today's hashtag, Jill's Pin, is a blue wave. And that's because we have as guests three amazing young activists who are going to make the blue wave happen. Absolutely. As we often talk about on this podcast, iGen Politics, the po- the political power of young people is growing fast. The numbers tell the story. In this election, young voters will account for the largest group of any voting demographic. And it's clear that the Biden campaign understands this reality. Vice President Kamala Harris has been touring college campuses across the country, listening to and engaging young people in the political process. President Biden has passed numerous pieces of legislation aimed directly at improving the lives of young people, whether it be combating the climate crisis or forgiving student loans or fighting gun violence. And most recently, his campaign launched a TikTok account aimed at reaching a generation that increasingly gets their news from online social media platforms, not traditional media ones. And given how important this young voting demographic is in this year's election, We gathered a panel of amazing young people who are active online and in mobilizing other young people to vote. And we got this group who you will probably already have heard of or seen or heard online. I look forward to getting to know them better, uh, each of them. Victor already knows them. Their motivation for being active is something I wanna understand because it's important to motivate other people to be active and also to learn what we as older generations can do to better communicate with them to make sure that the outcome of the 2024 election is the one that we are all hoping for. First up is Olivia Juliana. She is a Gen Z activist from Texas, most known for raising millions of dollars for reproductive rights. And thank you, Olivia, for that. Uh, That happened right after Matt Gaetz body shamed her. Olivia, welcome to you. I'm so glad you're joining iGen Politics. I am very happy to be here. It is, uh, as of filming this, it's the first day of early voting in Texas. So the energy is definitely, definitely up here in Houston. Oh, we definitely want to talk about that. Um, But let's introduce our next um, guest. We have Harry Sisson, who is a student at NYU and is a content creator on um, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, where he has more than, I guess, nearly 1 million combined followers across all platforms. Harry, it's great seeing you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Victor. You know, I'm I'm a fan of you and Jill, so it's always nice to be talking to you guys, you know? <laughs> Thank so you. And I look forward to learning a lot more about TikTok, which I recently joined. So I'm going to take lessons from you. Thank you, Harry. <laughs> Thank and, you. and lastly, we have Isaiah Martin, also from Texas, and who is a Gen Zer running for Congress. Um, Isaiah, it is great to have you doing that and have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it's good to see you guys. It was a really fun opportunity to run for Congress. It was a great endeavor. And now, you know, I'm really excited to get on the ground to help with the House and to get President Biden reelected. I'm ready. Awesome. Well, we have so much to discuss. Um, I've had the privilege to interact with um, all of you over the past several months, but I, I want to give our audience a better sense of um, sort of who you are and what you do. So maybe we can start with Olivia and then go to Harry and Isaiah. Um, briefly describe sort of how you got involved in politics and um, what you all do now. Yeah, I got involved in politics in 2020, like most people our age, you know, being stuck at home. I was a junior when the COVID shutdown happened. And I just remember I, I lived in a very conservative rural community in Fort Bend County, Texas. 
And uh, I was just so motivated by what was going on in the world to get involved. And me and my dad, we did not agree on politics at all. Um, and I wanted to go out and march. And my dad was adamant that I would not be allowed to do that. And if I did that, that I would no longer have a place to live. So I instead started making digital content online about politics and about electing Democrats and it has morphed into me becoming a full-time digital content creator covering politics and uh, doing on-the-ground activism work here in Texas and traveling across the country to do the same thing. And it's been about four years now, which is absolutely insane to me that it's been this long, but we've come a really long way of me making TikToks in my uh, childhood bedroom to now, you know, going to the White House, meeting the president, helping elect Colin Allred to the U.S. Senate. And my dad, who uh, has been a Republican his entire life, actually just joined me this weekend to knock doors for Colin Allred because wow. he'll be voting for awesome. him in November. Bravo. So Bravo. super exciting to to kind of, you know, grow up uh, doing civic engagement work. And I'm, I'm just really happy that this is what I get to do full time. That's awesome. Um, Harry, do you want to go next? Yeah, so um, I mainly started reading about politics when I was like 15 years old. I was living in Ireland at the time. And, you know, the 2016, <laughs> the 2016 election was like heating up, you know, the nominees were Clinton and Trump. And I was like, you know, OK, I'm getting involved in reading every day. And then Trump won. And I remember I walked into my school in Ireland the next day after the election. I was just being hugged by everybody being like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, wow, thanks. I was like the only American in the school. So from then, I just kind of got more and more involved. I moved back to the United States. And similar to Olivia, uh, during COVID, I was, well, before COVID, I was meant to give a TEDx talk at my school on the political aspects of climate change, but then COVID shut the event down. And uh, I, I just remember being in my basement, like 17 years old. I'm like, okay, uh, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Uh, I don't feel like I'm involved enough. So I was just scrolling on TikTok, seeing people post about politics. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I feel like I could do that. I feel like uh, I might be able to have a shot at that. And uh, then I just did it. And I just kind of started posting every single day. And up till now, I've been on TikTok for in April. It's going to be four years. Uh, I just talk about daily news, legal news, um, all these different things. Um, and just my, my main goal is like right now, trying to convince as many people as possible to vote for Biden in 2024 and Democrats down the ballot and also try to inform as many people as possible. Love so it. important, so important. Um, and finally, Isaiah. Yeah, guys, you know, for me, uh, my road to politics was actually pretty unconventional. I had no idea if anyone would ever ask me, you know, when I was a freshman in high school or even a freshman in college, if I'd be doing anything like this, I would have probably laughed at him. <laughs> you know, I got involved uh, because we had a really big problem with sexual assault at my college <laughs> campus. And and, um, you know, I, I got to work trying to fix it. So we created a program that provided free sexual assault examinations, support groups, and all that for students that went to our school at the University of Houston. And we expanded that to a bunch of different schools outside of uh, our university. And then after that, you know, I realized we can continue to keep on solving hard problems. So we worked to expand voting access. We turned our entire football stadium into a polling site because uh, Greg Abbott had students waiting four hours in line to vote the election before that. Um, we've been working to, you know, expand access to, you know, voting and, and do all this kind of stuff in civic engagement here in the city of Houston. It's been great. So after that, I got an opportunity to learn from Congresswoman Jackson Lee, uh, the great SJL, as we call her here, and 
got a chance to go to Washington, D.C. and really get to see the policymaking that is you know going on in D.C. And after that, I decided, you know what, when she decided to run for mayor, I said, you know what, I want to run to be your successor. And we did it. We did a really good job. We ended up having 15,000 donors, raising over $425,000 in a short period of time because of grassroots support in this country. And so we look forward to continuing that work. You know, we're going to work to continue to flip the House of Representatives. We're going to travel around the country to get President Biden reelected. And I'm excited to be joined with young people like Harry and Olivia all across the country that are ready to see some change and to see him get reelected. Well, you all are such an impressive and inspirational group. Um, I'm wowed. Um, and I want to, of course, you know, this is the intergenerational podcast. And so our listeners come from, you know, the silent generation and baby boomers down to Gen Z's and to whatever the next one is, depending on who you talk to, the polars or the alphas, um, and of course, your generation. And so I want to ask you from that perspective, if you can describe your generation and one or two things you think that people my age can learn and understand about Gen Z and how to communicate and how to persuade them. Uh, I'm very concerned about apathy in your generation in terms of a lot of issues, uh, abortion and, and President Biden, who has been, in my view, one of the most impressive presidents ever. So can you, each of you, you know, go through that? And let's see, we started with, I can't remember who the last time, um, Olivia, why don't you go next? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I grew up in rural Texas in a little farmhouse. It was just me and my dad through high school. So single parent household. And I think being part of the political space and the youth space in particular, the biggest thing that I've always been really aware of is that, uh, like coming from, uh, someone who did not grow up with privilege, a lot of times I feel like people who are like me who grew up in those environments are not really represented when it comes to bringing ideas to the table. Um, and I vividly remember being at an event, a political event that was for young people and how we message to young people and how we engage young people. And somebody asked the question of like, who here goes to an Ivy League university or who here's parents are paying for their college and almost the entire room raised their hands. And I looked around, it was me and maybe two other people who didn't have our hands raised. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, you know, I, I like to talk about the very real successful successes for people like me that people might just not know about. So like I was able to go to college my freshman year entirely paid for because of the American Rescue Plan and was able to get more tuition money the following year because Democrats voted to expand the amount of money people can get through Pell Grants. And there are real tangible policies that have been passed for working class young people in this country who they're just not aware of because people are not messaging on that. And I think that that's reflective of the disparity that has to do with young voters as well. As it is true, there is a large portion of very engaged, very involved young people in this country who are voting because they want to combat climate change, who are voting because they want to combat uh, gun violence. But there's a very large portion of young people in this country too who are not civically involved and who are not engaged. And I think that part of the problem is that they're not being talked to by people who they feel reflects 
the backgrounds and experiences that they have had. And so for me, the most important thing that I think I can do is talk about my own life and uh, how the Biden administration and how Democrats have been able to deliver for me and inform them on ways that they might have been getting, you know, results that they don't, they're not aware of. Um, and I think that the more we start to incorporate economic talking points, affordability talking points, and talking about uh, young people and less of a monolith, but more representative of the truly diverse nature of young people in this country, I think we'll start to see more and more people get engaged. And I know that that's certainly the case here in Texas, is as the messaging diversifies and as you talk to young people as college students, but also as parents and workers and renters and students, you're going to start to see more young people come into the fold. Uh, and so that's what I've been primarily focused on the last few years. And I think that the Democratic Party overall and the Biden campaign overall has really started to incorporate that when making decisions on how they're going to message and how they're going to reach out to young people. And who the messenger is. Uh, Harry, what do you think? Yeah, I think that like... Um... One of the main things I've noticed among my generation or just young people I talk to is that young people like really care. They do genuinely care about these issues, whether it be climate change, reproductive rights, um, health care, you know, because not only are these issues, uh, some of them going to be pertaining to us and affecting our generation more so, um, but a lot of these folks have had personal experiences with it, whether it be in the healthcare system, whether it be knowing somebody in your life who's needed crucial reproductive care. Uh, I just find that a lot of people really think about these issues and they're not even super politically involved. I, I do like a, um, a TikTok live stream every night where I debate people who are typically more conservative or even independent about why I think they should vote for Biden. Uh, and a lot of the time when someone who's younger, 18, 19, 20, uh, they'll come up and say, you know, I'm not super politically involved, but I just want to know more. I just want to ask questions. Uh, and they're just curious. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think that's showing that kind of divide where, you know, Gen Z and even younger generations are the most politically informed, politically active generation we've ever seen in America. Um, and I just think you're going to see more and more of that, not only in, in 2024, but also beyond in 2026, 2028 and so forth. And Isaiah? <clears throat> yeah, you know, to be honest with you, I, I think one of the biggest things is you know, young people really see their world changing in front of their eyes. I think that if they look at, you know, what the attacks on their rights are compared to, let's just say their grandparents, it's alarming, right? If you talk to your grandparents, your older uncles, and you ask them what it was like to buy a home in the 1980s, 1990s, 1970s, it's going to be a vastly different story. And so what young people understand is that they're interested in what party, what group, what candidate is going to be uh, best position to build themselves a better future. They look at the future as something that, like I said, for the first time in a long time is is changing in the opposite direction. And so they're really fired up to try to do something to make it easier to buy a home. They want to be able to give their kids the ability to play in a backyard like their grandparents might have been able to provide that for them. They want to be able to get health care one day when they get older. They want one day to be able to grow out and be a start a business because they're very entrepreneurial. People in Gen Z are very excited about being able to build their own future. And so what I think is really interesting is that the Biden campaign has been really putting a focus on going and listening to young people. I think Vice President Harris has been going out, she's been going to different colleges and universities, and we see that reflected in their messaging. 
you know, and how they talk to people as a result of that. So as a campaign goes on, I think that the strategy of just listening and then coming up with messaging that is reflective of what they hear is going to be the key to activating young voters and getting people excited to go to the polls this November. I love all of your answers and advice. And I just want to push a little bit on what can my generation and other older generations do to communicate to you? Or do we just have to make sure that we give the message to you and you get the message out? Can I get a message out? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is, is it has to be positioned in a lens that's not dismissive. I think that sometimes folks, sometimes folks have the tendency of if a young person says, I feel like I'm not ever going to be able to buy a home, you know, they'll be told, well, suck it up and deal with it. We had to deal with problems in our lives, so maybe you should too. And I think that, you know, it starts with coming from a genuine place of saying, look, I hear you. That's an issue. Let me work with you to bring that into the fold. It's also making sure that young people are at the decision-making table, making sure that they are there to be able to communicate these issues. And I think that what we have seen in this administration is President Biden do exactly that. He's been listening to young leaders. He's been amplifying young leaders across the country. And so that's the kind of approach that we're going to need to reach people where they are. I think it also comes with getting on uh, different mediums that young people use. I was really excited to see the Biden campaign join TikTok. And there's so many people. I think it's... It was, I think, 30%, 25% of young people get their news exclusively from TikTok. I mean, that is, you know, the kind of mechanisms that we're going to have to use to reach people and give them the information they need. So we absolutely want to talk about TikTok, um, but in the vein of President Biden, I think um, maybe some of the concerns that some people have for him, we want to ask you about um, a couple of things that maybe we're seeing on the ground or in online spaces. Um, and, you know, I think I've seen all of you talk about how um, whack the polls are, let's say, to say the least. Um, but the first issue I want to ask you about is age. Um, when you talk to your peers and people who are on the ground, what do you hear about his age and what do you say to them about, um, you know, possible concerns about him being too old? I don't know if maybe one of you wants to start first. Yeah. yeah I, I, oh, go here. You go. Go ahead. No, no, no. Olivia, you got it. I was going to say, like, I personally, other people might be very patient when answering this question. I'm not one of them. Like, I am just like, I'm not patient when it comes to answering this question because, like, I understand he's old like we like I get it we get it like I visually can see that this is an old man but the alternative is an old man who's the same age as him who has been uh found civilly liable of sexual assault who is facing 91 criminal charges who incited an insurrection who uh has passed countless harmful policies, tripled the deficit. Like this is somebody who is not only dangerous for America, but he is legislatively ineffective. He wants to ban abortion nationally. Uh, and he has misused, like this is not the time for us to say, oh, well, Biden is old. Guess what? Trump is old too. And not only is he old, but he is corrupt and a pervert. So for me, when people ask me that, I'm just point blank. Like I get it. I understand your frustrations, but guess what? We have a bureaucracy in place that if for some reason President Biden is not president at the end of his second term, we're going to be okay. Can we say the same thing about electing Donald Trump? And the biggest thing for me is as someone who consumes media nonstop, 
The reason why we are talking about Joe Biden's age so much is because that is the only concise, clear attack point that they have against him. And that's why they are sticking to it so much. And honestly, I don't think that it's going to work. I, I don't think it's going to work because people knew how old he was when they elected him. Uh -huh. And they know how old he's going to be when they go to vote for him this year. And so I just, I don't think it works. I get young people are irritated about it, but I don't think that this is going to be one of those things that is going to be a factor where people are like, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden because he's old. Like, I don't think that that's going to be as much of a factor as people think it is. Victor, stop the recording for a second. I just, I want to apologize. I can't turn my phone off because my computer has frozen and the only way I can communicate with Victor is on texting him. So I have to leave my phone on. So I apologize. And I apologize if I'm looking down, but it's because I'm trying to communicate with Victor. So sorry, everyone. A no, you're, you're good. Okay. Maybe one of you could figure out why I can't type on my computer, but it is frozen. So sorry. Um, I just want you all to know I'm not being rude or dismissive, God forbid. But um, anyway, sorry about that. Um, okay, so I guess one follow-up question to that, um, and maybe Harry or Isaiah, you can tackle this, is so I, I think we all understand, you know, we have two very old candidates, and one of them has done so much for young people and our lives. Um, the other one hasn't. But when you talk about the issues with young people, um, whether it's online or in person, what are you hearing from them in terms of their awareness of the issues? And how do you get them to understand all that President Biden has done? And I want to add, and how evil Donald Trump is how bad he is for not just your generation, for all generations, for the world. NATO may not be of concern right now, whereas environment and other things, but it, it has to be. I mean, he's bad for everybody. So add how they're reacting to the evil and whether they understand it. Yeah, I mean, I think when I am talking to other young people, um, the consistent theme I find is that a lot of them don't know about the major policy that President Biden has passed. Uh, they just don't know about it. They, I hear a lot of like, oh, I don't really think Biden has done anything. Like, yeah, I get Trump is bad, but what has Biden actually done? And I'm like, are you kidding me? The largest infrastructure deal since Eisenhower, uh, expanding health care for veterans, largest investment in fighting climate change, and not only American history, world history, first black woman on the Supreme Court, uh, manufacturing back in the United States, all these different things. And then once they're aware of it, they're like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. You know what I mean? He's, he's done a lot. It seems like, you know, it's just not being talked enough about. Um, but on the, the Trump point, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the, the overall uh, sense I get, um, and I mostly speak to people I disagree with, so this might be a misguided view, but a lot of folks I hear are like, yeah, like Trump is bad, but like, you know, the economy or, you know, I feel like we're in war or something like that. Um, so for, for a lot of people, I think it's, although it is kind of mixed, I hear some people are like, yeah, no, I'm not, I would never vote for Donald Trump. He's a awful human being. He's terrible. But uh, a lot of folks I also talk to who are not super informed are like, yeah, well, you know, I think I might just support Trump or uh, vote for him because, you know, I think the economy was better under him. I think he created all these jobs. And the inevitable follow-up question is, so what did he do to create those jobs? And then it's it's silence. But I don't know. That's just my uh, experience. And do they know what the unemployment rate is now compared to what it was then? Because that's <laughs> the way of answering them is, hey, guy you'll be able to get a job because unemployment is almost non-existent now. Right. No, I, so that's, all, that's also a good point. Um, in these conversations I have with people who typically disagree with me, they'll say, oh, unemployment's like 10%, inflation's like 15. 
I'm like, are you kidding me? Inflation's 3.1%. Unemployment's like 3.7%. Like, I think that, you know, the media or like the news just doesn't really cover these things to the degree that they should. So you have a lot of folks who, um, you know, feel so doom and gloom about things when in reality, we're on track. We are, we're America's booming again, you know? I think that I found the two most effective talking points when I talk to young people who are not extremely civically engaged is, um, you know, Donald Trump and Republicans want to gut the Affordable Care Act and take away the provision that lets you stay on your parents' health insurance um, and abortion. I like I have I have two sets of friends. I, I like to do my own polling. Um, I have two sets of friends. So I have one set of friends that's very politically informed, very politically involved. And then I have another set that's like they are completely tuned out. They do not watch the news. Um, and when I talk to them, they're both girls. They're about my age. They're like, we care about, like, we are single issue voters and our single issue is abortion. And so I think that that is the case for a lot of young people in this country is abortion and um, voting rights and democracy. Like those things matter a lot, even to young people who are not super plugged into what's going on. So Isaiah, what's your view on abortion as a, you know, you're running for Congress. What would you do? Uh, well, when I was running for Congress, I was very clear. Um, I'm extremely pro-choice. I mean, I think fundamentally uh, what Greg Abbott has done, especially in our state, is just absolutely abhorrent. And what we're seeing across the state and frankly across the country is red states doing everything they can to infringe on reproductive freedom. And uh, so I was clearly for codifying Roe v. Wade, making sure that we could have those protection in place, but then also being proactive. I think that what we saw in the Dobbs decision was a Supreme Court that was willing to uh, eventually look into things like birth control. And so we can't allow them to get that opportunity. We're going to have to start enshrining more things in federal law that is going to prevent them from doing that. I believe in being proactive more than being reactive. And I think one of the most interesting points, uh, going back to the whole young people discussion about how to activate them, is to really show them what Donald Trump did specifically to the Supreme Court. Everyone knows how bad the Dobbs decision was. They know that it was terrible. And he was able to do it because he was able to appoint three Supreme Court justices that lied to everybody and then did whatever they wanted to do when they got onto the court. And so I think telling people what it is at stake, that if Donald Trump gets an opportunity to get back into the White House at a time in which you have multiple Supreme Court justices well into their 70s, and he could potentially get an opportunity to stack more ultra-conservative far-right justices onto that court, it could be an absolute nightmare. And so giving that presentation directly to young people, showing them and painting the picture to them about what's at stake and what these people will do has been one of the single biggest motivating factors I've seen on the ground. Yeah, and, and Donald Trump has said that he would support a 16-week ban, and the Alabama Supreme Court just ruled that uh, because of Dobbs, there's, well, I'm not even sure they're relying on Dobbs, but that um, basically in vitro fertilization is over because the fertilized egg in a Petri dish is a living human being. And if there's any carelessness in how it's handled, it's manslaughter. So um, you're all right to be focused on, on this, but I want to get into an even more controversial area, which is the Israel-Gaza situation. And what I'm seeing um, on college campuses is that many people are calling uh, Biden Genocide Joe. And 
I, I'm just wondering how big an issue this is and how well informed you think people taking this position are and what can be done to explain the context and the facts and the history of the situation and Joe Biden's position? Well, um, what I will say about this is I don't think that young people are necessarily a monolith on this. I don't think that it is a, a universal belief that young people uh, are running around calling him genocide, Joe, and all of those things. I think that a lot of young people are very, um, they know that something is going on, but they don't know necessarily uh, the full details of the full situation. And I think ultimately uh, what you see on college campuses, you know, a lot of young people are wanting to see, um, you know, a, a, a legitimate response to protect civilian life in Gaza, but then also understanding that Hamas did a brutal, vicious murder of 1,200 innocent people in Israel. Grandmothers who were sitting there with their hands up, young people at a um, at a concert, literally my own campaign manager uh, was slated to be at that same festival at that time. It was only because she missed a flight or changed her plans at the last minute that she was not at that festival. And so that's the reality that I think a lot of people see. Uh, a lot of young people understand that um, how some people have kind of taken that anti-Semitism angle in this is wrong. And I think young people just want to see um, you know, a protection of civilian life, but then also recognizing that Israel has a right to defend itself uh, from this vicious attack. I think that there's also been a, a real warping of what the president's actual position is when it comes to this issue. So when I talk to young people about it, um, I ask them, okay, do you support a bilateral ceasefire? Do you want the fighting to stop? You want You want fighting on both sides to stop? Yeah, I support that. Great. Do you support a peaceful two-state solution? Yeah, I support that. Great. That's the stance of the president. The president wants peace. He wants the fighting to stop. He wants to protect civilian life, both in Israel and in Gaza. And I think that the position of the Biden administration has been misinterpreted purposefully by people. But I also think that there is just a strong sense of misinformation out there about what's going on. Um, and so... It, because it is such a nuanced issue and there is so much emotion around it, uh, I, I empathize with the young people who who see certain parts of it and get outraged because I understand, you know, me, Isaiah and Harry, we consume media all day, every day. Like we are hyper-informed political people who know what is going on, whether it's domestic or foreign policy. And for us, this is just another complex thing that we have to navigate. But for the everyday young person, who is seeing this extremely complicated issue played out in a 60 second video. And that's the duration and that's the length of information they have about it. Um, of course, they're gonna be you know, emotional and they're gonna be based on what they're seeing rather than reality some of the time. And so I think it's just reaffirming what the actual position of the administration is, um, is, is the most effective thing. And I've watched Harry do this on a live stream before with people. And I think he's very effective at doing it. So I would love to hear what he has to say. Yeah, I think Isaiah and Olivia really perfectly laid out, you know, the democratic position and why Biden is right on this issue. But I also think it's an, it's definitely important to 
also inform these people how much worse Donald Trump would be. I mean, uh, you know, not only, as we mentioned, would Trump be bad for America, but even in, in, in the Middle East, he would give, um, you know, Israel, people who care about for people who care about Palestine, he would give Israel free reign. He would not try to force them to turn back on the water or the electricity or allow humanitarian aid back into Gaza. Uh, he increased drone strikes in the Middle East 450% from 2016 onward in his presidency. Innocent civilian deaths in Afghanistan increased 330%. So, you know, if we're if we're thinking about this from an innocent civilian perspective, which is absolutely the way we should be thinking about it, um, then in no circumstance should anybody be part of the coalition that lets Trump win or sits out and and gives him that um, that ability to, you know, maybe lose some Biden votes and have him win. But it is very complex. And uh, there's so many different sides. And, um, you know, I just think, as, as Olivia mentioned, like Biden just has the right solution. He wants a humanitarian ceasefire hostages to be returned, which is, of course, very important, a two state solution. Um, but I, I just don't see this as a reason to allow American democracy to fall and you know allow Trump to go back to the Oval Office. I 100 percent want to agree with everything that Harry just said. And same thing with Olivia. I mean, because I, I, th I think one of the biggest things that we're really seeing play out is that you know, foreign policy is not something that can be described all the time in a hashtag. It is a very difficult, it is a very complex situation. And I think well, one of the most important things, we just have to keep on reiterating the president's position, because I think that that's where the majority of people are. The majority of people want to see a two-state solution. They want to be able to see that humanitarian aid is reaching uh, people in Gaza. And they also understand fundamentally that Donald Trump has absolutely no care whatsoever for civilian life, absolutely none. And if he were to get in there, he would do absolutely everything he can to eradicate Palestinians. He would do everything he can to reinstate a Muslim ban. That is what he has been when he was in office and what he would continue to be if he were to get back into office. The visualization that I've also used that I just really hits me is, this is a president, Donald Trump, who tear gas people in front of a church purely for the sake of a photo, who tear gassed his own country's civilians for the sake of a photo. If he is willing to do something like that for something so minimal and minuscule, how do you think he is going to handle a foreign policy issue that requires delicacy and nuance and a deep sense of empathy it, it won't be well i i or won't be good i can yeah. tell you that. And, and i also just want to point out then the final thing i know this this is like so there's so much on this but why on okay joe biden has been in politics for decades primarily foreign policy roles in the senate right when joe biden was going from delaware to dc every day and you know going home to make sure you can tuck his kids into bed donald trump was on reality tv he was firing people. He was holding beauty pageants in New York City. Why the hell do we think this dude, who is a lunatic with no foreign policy experience, would somehow be able to masterfully navigate this conflict that's been going on for decades? I mean, get him back on TV, not in you know a, a room with Netanyahu and then the Gazan leaders. I mean, come on. No, this is. I mean, there's so much to this issue, and and one of the things that um I like, well, like you know, Harry, I see that you post about Jessica Tarla a lot. One of, one of the points that she makes a lot is, you know, 
I think President Biden would definitely love for this issue to go away tomorrow. But I think there's a lot more information that's out there that does not get reported and that, you know, it's more complex than people think. Um, the Onion had this great post recently about how, you know, we've all become sort of PhD experts on um, the Israel-Gaza situation just based off of like Instagram posts and TikTok videos. Um, but maybe let's shift to TikTok because that is a big sort of strategy for the Biden campaign now um, and how the president is trying to reach young people. Um, you know, he posted one video I think a week ago uh, of him answering Super Bowl questions, but I want to get your thoughts on sort of how he's done so far, um, the growth of his account, and uh, how effective you think that strategy uh, will be going forward. I think it's great, personally. Um, I mean, shout out Rob Flaherty. I mean, they're doing a great job over there <laughs> at the White House, and I'm sorry, with the Biden campaign, and, and I think, look, ultimately, we have to reach every medium we can find. Anything that we can use to tangibly reach new people and inform them about what we're trying to do, I think is going to be a tremendous plus. I mean, they've been getting quite a bit of views, they've been getting quite a bit of uh, likes and follows. And so we just have to support them in their efforts because I think that's going to be the way to the future. Just like how in the 1940s, President Roosevelt went and took the radio waves at a time in which, you know, to reach Americans where they were at a time in which I think they said 85% of the newspapers were against him. He literally took to the radio to reach people directly. I think President Biden and his campaign can do the exact same thing with TikTok and reach people where they are. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I just pulled up, I have, I literally have a PowerPoint presentation about TikTok's impact ready to go at all times. Um, wow. Over a third of US adults under 30 get their news from TikTok. And that number has doubled since 2020. So it is not only where the voters are, but um, getting to the more technical side of it, there are analytics that you can see on TikTok that you really cannot see in the same way on other social media platforms. And Harry and Isaiah know what I'm talking about because they're both, we're all creators. If I put out a TikTok, like I put one out um, a few days ago about Ted Cruz in Texas, I can look at my analytics and tell you what geographic areas that video was viewed in the most. So I know from looking at that, those analytics, that at least, at least 200,000 Texans saw that video. And that is data that I think is not only extremely important to me as a creator, but if I'm the Biden campaign and I'm seeing how my videos are doing, I'm seeing, oh, I'm reaching with a 10 second video, uh, half a million people in Ohio and Arizona and Pennsylvania and Georgia. And there's a deeper technology impact here that I think a lot of people are missing, where not only are you reaching people where they're at, but also you can physically see where you're doing that in a much new way uh, that's very different from sending a text message or sending a mailer or running a digital ad, because it is 100% organic. You cannot buy advertising space for political campaigns on TikTok. It is 100% organic interaction. Um, and I think that that gives it a much more unique flair uh, and genuine impact than any other form of social media can when it comes to a political campaign. Anyone else? Wanna, anyone else want to comment on that? Otherwise, um, uh, first of all, I think all of you will be very good uh, TikTokers to communicate for Joe Biden, and I hope that you will continue to do that. Um, I also, I didn't get a chance to say, but um, in terms of the Gaza, I mean, it's just important to remember that there was 
a reciprocal ceasefire in place, which was then violently violated by Hamas. And that there have to be built in, it seems to me, some way to assure that there wouldn't be a repeat of that or else uh, Israel's not going to be safe. Um, so I, I, that, that's just one other thing. But um, Harry, I wanted to ask you a specific question because you've talked about the idea of trusted messengers. And when we're thinking about trusted messengers, who are they and how should the administration be uh, deploying them? Well, I know, I, th I think you can look at folks like Isaiah and Olivia. You know, I think that um, a lot of folks I talk to enjoy hearing from people that uh, look like them, think like them, or similar ages to them, uh, not necessarily a very fancy politician in a suit on TV. Uh, they kind of just, I find like these casual conversations of which you're sitting down with somebody, or at least somebody is looking at you through your phone and it feels like you're sitting down with them, um, go a long way. And people tend to trust that more than like if Biden or even uh, Trump is on TV kind of putting out their message, especially with people who might not be fully involved in politics or feel, um, you know, that they're not being represented or nobody cares about them. Uh, they want to hear from somebody that they kind of relate to, you know? So um, we know that President Biden is on TikTok, but I, I want to um, ask you guys about how maybe candidates down ballot should be using TikTok. And um, if so, what would you sort of advise them in terms of how they should create TikToks as people who are content creators? What is your um, advice to candidates who are thinking about entering this sort of new medium of TikTok? Well, to be honest with you, I think one of the most effective things that people can do is just talk straight to the camera. I think that, you know, a lot of times when you, I think Jeff Jackson has shown a very good model of what happens when you can just talk directly to people and tell them what's going on and how you're going to fix the problems that they're seeing in their lives. I mean, we saw in Houston just recently, a city council candidate by the name of Mario Castillo, who literally won by a large margin because he went on social media and he just communicated directly with people to tell them what was going on on the Houston City Council. I mean, you're seeing a variety of elected officials who are doing that, who are being just honest and direct with the camera, and it works. It gets a lot of traction because people like elected officials or people that are running for office that are not filled with the spin that might be seen as you know conventional politics. They like people that look like them and seem uh, to be focused on the things they care about. So I think it's just talking directly to people, telling people exactly what you can do in plain English, the power of your office, and getting to mediums like TikTok and Instagram Reels and, and Twitter and all that to get your message out to the vast majority of people. I'm so glad I don't have to sing or dance if I go on TikTok. I'm <laughs> fine talking to the camera, but man, anything else, not good. Yeah. Um, so I think let's shift to, we talked a little bit about Republicans. Um, uh, let's shift to talk about how any young person can support what Republicans are doing in terms of the environment, abortion, um, and guns. Um, if any of you guys have any idea, take us into the minds of young Republicans um, and young Republicans, sorry about that, um, young Republicans and how you think that their minds can change, if at all. You know, oh man. I, <laughs> so yeah, no, no, Olivia, you should you should talk about this in a second. I was gonna um, say Harry's an expert at this. Uh, <laughs> I do this every single night. I talk to these people like four or five hours. Um, you know, 
I always um I always think that it's just laying out what's been done and laying out the consequences of actions. I think one of the most important ones, as Olivia and Isaiah have talked about, is reproductive rights. Um, you know, it's a lot of people don't know that Donald Trump played a crucial role, if you can even believe it. A lot of people don't know that he was like the guy that made it happen. Um, and but the majority of these people, even if they're young conservatives, are secretly pro-choice. They say, you know what, I'm pro-life, but I don't want to control anybody else. And I'm like, okay, so you're pro-choice. You're on our side. Um, but I think it's also, in order to change their minds, I think it's good to show them the real-life consequence. So not only are we having this, these, this terrible data coming out from specifically Republican states of like women of color being disproportionately impacted by reproductive bans, um, or just the, 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 the cost for women having to go out of state, even like leaving Olivia and Isaiah state of Texas to go to another one just to see, receive reproductive care. But the real life stories and the consequence I find go a long way. I mean, there's just one that I, I always talk about. It's just incredibly heartbreaking. There was this 10 year old girl in Mississippi going into seventh grade. Um, she was assaulted. She, and she became pregnant at age 10. You know, she trying to go to seventh grade, be with her friends, get an education, but her life was turned upside down. Um, and you know, obviously she wanted to not become a mother at age 10. She wanted to receive the reproductive care, but in states around Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, all these different states, they all had abortion bans. And the closest clinic was in Illinois. Uh, and unfortunately her, her mother couldn't take off work, didn't have the funds to get there. And that child ended up becoming a mother at around age 11, I believe. Um, and when you tell people this, they're like, that is insane. Most people, they're like, that is insane. That is unfathomable in the United States of America. Um, so I think that's all that all goes to say that, like, you know, showing the real human cost of Republican policy, I, I find goes a long way and kind of laying out how we got to this moment of insanity and specifically on different issues. I think a lot of young Republicans identify that way as well for for two reasons. I think number one, you know, I, I grew up in a Republican household. My dad is very civically engaged and I grew up in a, you know, Fox News on the TV every morning home. And I think a lot of it is just cultural in terms of your political beliefs. A lot of times get dictated by your family and the people that you're around. And so for me, the only way that I, you know, got to the point I am at now is I joined debate when I was in high school and I had to learn how to research policy and politics for myself. And it made me realize a lot of the things that I had been told were just not true. Um, and that kind of brings me to my second point of, I think a lot of young men, because it is predominantly young white men who are Republican identify that way because they have been told that they are under attack that uh, that they are, you know, vilified and awful and people don't like them and they have fallen down the alt-right pipeline, which is a very real thing. And I think not only do we have young men who they're kind of, you know, uh, they're kind of lukewarm. They're not super involved in politics, but their family's conservative. So that's how they vote. I think we have a lot of young people who are like that. But I think that there's another uh, section of young men in particular who have been radicalized online by people like Andrew Tate, by people like, oh, what's that other guy? He's really annoying. He, he's like Andrew Tate 2.0. I can't remember what his name. You know who I'm talking about, Harry, don't you? Is it Aiden Ross? Yes, Aiden Ross. Yeah. It's, it's like Andrew Tate and Aiden Ross. And then, 
now they're watching Ben Shapiro clips and it's just this pipeline that eventually eventually leads them to being obsessed with people like Matt Walsh. Um, and it's just, it's, it's awful. And I think that the best way that we can combat it is, and this is what I believe has worked with my dad, lifelong Republican voted for Ted Cruz, not just in 2018, the Senate, he voted for Ted Cruz in the presidential primary. Hmm. This is my dad who is now voting for Colin Allred. I think the thing that has worked for him, you know, he's 56 years old, 55, 56, is he has been told Democrats are evil. Democratic politicians are evil. Democrats don't want to do anything for you. And as I've gotten more and more involved in politics and he's seen me and what I've done, he's also met people who have really changed his mind about this. And Isaiah knows exactly what I'm about to say next. Isaiah and my dad love each other. They have spent so much time together. Uh, and that like, Isaiah truly is one of my closest friends. But I grew up in a household that hated Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. She was the boogeyman in my household. My dad did not like her at all. And I remember him talking about it, listening to the Michael Berry show on the way to school in the morning. And when she ran for mayor in Houston, I was very involved as a volunteer for her campaign. Uh, and I actually made my dad come with me to a Sheila for mayor event. And not only did my dad meet her, but they hugged. And there's an adorable picture of my dad with the congresswoman. And we got in the car and my dad, this man who I have heard talk negatively about her my entire life, just said, wow, like, you know, she is really nice and she genuinely cares about the community and she wants to do good things. And ever since then, it is like his mindset has changed so dramatically. And it honestly just a lot of the times has to do with exposure. And I see this happen on Harry's lives all the time because I go on there with him is you'll have these people who will come up who will be super combative. They'll talk about how they hate Harry or they hate Joe Biden or they hate me. And we have people who become friends who are very friendly with us, who come back and who slowly start to realize like, wow, like Democrats aren't evil. And I think that back to Harry's original point of just like having those conversations, I think makes a huge difference in the mindset of young Republicans. Thank you all for doing that. Obviously you are, an extraordinary group of people. And uh, I know you all have great futures as does Victor. Um, and I'm gonna ask one last question, which is for each of you, what do you do when you're not involved in politics or tick-tocking about politics or getting out the vote? What Do you have any outside interests? A hundred percent. I love the hoop. <laughs> I love the hoop. I love to play basketball, you know, Honestly, to be honest with you, a lot of my my favorite political conversations happen when I'm not doing politics. Is getting with people who are not in the political bubble. I love to hoop. I love to play ball with them uh, and just see what people are talking about. You know, going to the barbershop, hearing with people. What's the real tea that's going on in the neighborhood? You know, I guess that's kind of, I guess my my fun away from politics. Right, and Harry. Yeah. Um... It almost feels like I'm 24-7 thinking about politics, so sometimes it's a little hard to get away. Um, but I think that, you know, I've like I play like video games with my friends. We'll just like 
you know, like I, I have some friends I play video games with where we're both involved in politics and we'll, we have rules. We're like, okay, we are not saying anything about politics for the next hour. And we always end up breaking that rule, but it's okay. We can, we can pretend and make our, make ourselves feel good about it at the beginning. So something like that. I like, you know, love listening to music, love reading and, and things like that. It's kind of the, the temporary step away. Harry, do you play FIFA? I play FIFA. I play Madden. I play Call of Duty, all the good ones, okay. you know? Okay. I think we got to run it, Isaiah. I think we got to run it, my man. We're going to have to connect on that. You know, (laughs) sounds good. Tottenham is is looking pretty good this year. You know, I'm going (laughs) to connect with you on that. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, Olivia, I think that I have the funniest hobby out of anyone in politics, which is I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. And I talk about this frequently. And I don't mean, I wish I could show you. I don't just mean like I watch. No, I have collectibles. I have merch. I have action figures. I think it knows this to be true. Um, I watch WWE every Monday, every every Friday night. This Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, I will be waking up at 5 a.m. to watch the pay-per-view that they are filming in Australia. Like, I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. And it drives Isaiah crazy. Because, like I said, me and Isaiah are friends, like, in real life. And I take this so seriously that I called him, like, two weeks ago. My favorite wrestler had come back after 10 years and immediately got injured. And I called Isaiah crying because I was so upset. If if anyone thinks that she's exaggerating, he's not. Like, I I know sometimes you see political people cap for like social media, and no, she is legitimately a stan. Like, I've seen this woman cry over what happens in WWE, like tears, like, (laughs) like, like, cry. She's not wrong. This yeah, is the no, most amazing it. ending that we could have ever possibly <laughs> yes. had. But I'm going to share a dirty little secret, which is my grandfather lived with my family and he was a huge wrestling fan and made me watch with him. It did not convert me. I am not <laughs> a huge wrestling fan and I doubt that Victor is. But um, but that was a great, three great answers. Thank you all. And thank you all very much for taking your time. It was a great conversation, and I hope you'll come back, all of you, again to continue this uh, more often. We hope you enjoyed this episode of iGen Politics as much as we did with this phenomenal group of uh, Gen Zers and young people who are making a difference in this election. Uh, we, we will be back next week with a brand new episode of iGen Politics. In the meantime, you can follow us wherever you follow your podcasts. Or if you want to watch us, you can watch us at youtube.com slash Politicon and be sure to like and subscribe there as it helps us tremendously. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you next week.